talk to you every day. I think I have a real title instead of, you know, um, the Bible part 12 or whatever, okay? The Unfolding Revelation of God's Will for You. What I like about that title is that, that there's, the unfolding is the, is the accordion effect. Whatever we don't finish today, we go next week. My prayer has been, and, and I've had a little problem with where to cut things off on certain concepts as we go through because of the holidays. And so the, the, because we're starting late for the, the teaching, I won't be able to finish what I started, but it's not a big problem because we pick it up uh, next week and God's timing is perfect in how he wants us to examine certain things. But we started this, and as we, we continue... I mean, we're honestly looking to understand to know what God's will is. Greg and Sarah have been, have been great examples. And their true confession today about their lack of faith, you know, they're in good company, like Peter, John, Thomas, and so on. Uh, uh, you know, the Lord asked Peter, why, why is it you have, you have such little faith? And, and, you know, that's not a good answer. Peter didn't answer. It's like, you know, I know. And, and we learn from this. And, and one thing that really spoke to me today when they shared was God's silence is communication. It's like, what did, I, what did I say? Well, you did say that. Yeah. Have I said that's not in effect? No. Okay. And so silence is, you'll, at, at the retreat, we'll talk about this. Silence is a means of communication. It can be bad, by the way, but it can be good. So, as we're looking at the scriptures, we went into what, what God's will is. Again, just a reminder, the, the revealing of his will unfolds to us. See, we get stuck because we don't do our part. It unfolds, it unfolds before us in orderly steps, not haphazard. We get things all crossed up and backwards. There's, there's an order of things for you to really know and understand what God's will is for you. In, in the small things, the nitty-gritty things, small things like what school should I go to? That's small compared to some other stuff, all right? Now, the order of the things, he's told us what those things are and what we must do. See, we have a part to play in all this. We don't just sit there and wait for him to talk. We do something. It's like when, when there's a play, the stage is set. And then the play begins, the, the curtain opens. We're to set the stage. So, the one point one that we looked at last time. I'll just mention it today. It's number one. It's God's will. Clearly, Yeshua, the Messiah, said this. It is his will, it's his will that you be born again. That you have a spiritual birth. Everything else starts with that. Okay? And he said to Nicodemus, a member of the Supreme Court, you must be born again. Not, not well, you'll like it, or it'll be better for you. You'll, no, no, you must. To see the kingdom of God. And the revealed will of God has to do with the kingdom of God, our part in it and the calling on our life, and our purpose, and, our, and his plan for us. You must be born again. Again, the reminder, he said, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. It's about people who are lost. He came to offer a free gift to those people. When you're born again, when you have a spiritual birth, he gives a gift. A gift. It's called forgiveness of sin. And an eternity in his presence. Boy, that term is in the book of Hebrews. All right? And in and, and, and James chapter 4, where it talks about God's will, part of that has to do with, with, with submitting to God. We submit. That, that's my main point today, by the way, uh, is submission. See, that's a term nobody likes. And I say, we're going to talk about submission to this. like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, you don't want to do that, do you? You'd rather do what you want. 
All the men did that which was right in their own eyes. Right? Look, look what happened to those guys. But part of this has to do with submission. It's a huge part of understanding God's will. But what James says in, in, in chapter 4 is that we're to submit to God. That's a big deal, by the way. And then it, it's, it talks about um, um, coming into his presence. The book of Hebrews literally tells us that we've been invited to come into his presence. All the barriers that were there at one time, Yeshua has taken care of all of those. It's like a loving father inviting his child to come in, actually to sit on his lap, to come close. Okay? In fact, that, 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 uh, that terminology is used in the Bible cover to cover. To cover. It's called drawing near. James 4 says that when we submit to God, then it, then it says, and then you draw near to him. Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers that day that, that it, it was revealed who he is? Because he looked like an Egyptian. He had the haircut of an Egyptian. He had the makeup. He, he looked like an Egyptian. But he spoke Hebrew as well as that Egyptian dialect, and uh, he could hear what they were talking about. And at that, at that point of revelation, it's a spiritual moment, because you have that all through Scripture, and you have a lot of it in the book of Revelation as well, where he said, draw, draw near to me. It's like they, they, he, he invited them to come close, his brothers, to see him, to hear him. And when they got close, forget all the makeup, okay? He said, I am Joseph, your brother. Who you sold. <laughs> okay? But the revelation came. And we talk about hearing the still small voice, which is a big thing, by the way. And, and, and the quietness of God, sometimes it's quiet because he is talking, but it's a still small voice. And now to hear that, you have to be close. You have to be really close. You're invited to come into his presence. The, this holiday season is that picture. You are invited to come into his presence presence. Well, now, that spiritual birth that starts the ball rolling, how does it happen? How does it happen? You ask. You ask him. When we go through this list of, of finding out God's will for you, a lot of it has to do with you asking him. Because sometimes we get to the place where we go, I don't think I want to ask him some of these things. Why? Well, because, and it goes back to the, the, some of those fear things that, that we talked about. But you ask for it. You ask him, and he forgives. You ask for forgiveness. He paid the price, but he wants the invitation. Revelation 3.20. We invite him into our life, our, our soul, literally our soul, to dwell. There's that word dwell in the book of John chapter 1 again. It's, it's, the, it's, it's a part of the uh, uh, Sukkot, dwelling. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. To dwell not only with us, but he came to dwell within us, in us, in us, by invitation. Because he's polite. He's not going to just barge in uninvited. He wants to be there because you want him to be there. He, he wants you to, to receive that gift of eternal life because you want it. There are people who don't want it. There are people who do not want it. Well, I understand why that is, but, but they don't. He enters our lives. As he does that, we enter his community. We become a part of his community. He's our chief rabbi. He is our teacher. First, he invites us to receive him and his forgiveness. 
the price that he paid for us. Once that happens, he invites us still further to do the next step, to follow him. It's a call to discipleship. Being a disciple of him comes next. Call to discipleship. That word means disciplined learner. See, that first part people don't like. Some of them, disciplined. It's not haphazard. There's an order to it. You've got to spend time with him in prayer, in study. I like what Sarah said. I'm picking on you because you're leaving, okay? She said, in, in my personal devotional time, I'm studying Joshua. Hallelujah! Have a personal devotional time. Study the Word of God. Study the, the people of the Bible. Because when you're, when you're wrapping yourself in, in, in His Word, there, there's a living quality to that Word that speaks to our hearts. He should learn lessons that apply to her and, and her life situation. We have this call to discipleship, which is step two. Now, in understanding God's will for us, this, this is uh, pictured in, in the book of Luke. There's, these are dramatic presentations. There's body language in events. Okay, John ends his book by saying, you know, there's a whole lot of things Yeshua said and did that we're not going to even bring up. They just take too much time. All the books in the world couldn't contain it. So we've selected certain events, certain sayings, because it paints a picture of who he is. It's not everything he said and did, but it paints that picture. Luke portrays these events in step two with body language, with pictures, Torah pictures. That when you look, and there's seven, what do you know about that? And when you look at all of them, and each one of them is very different, but when you look at the whole picture, it's the picture of what his will is for us. The next step. Luke begins Luke and Acts by saying, I'm writing an orderly account of these things. He put it in order. Keep in mind, his best friend was the Apostle Paul. Put things in order, okay? He was the master of doing just that. Now, we look at Peter's call to discipleship. His first day was his best day of fishing. And the Lord said, follow me. You're going to leave all this and follow me. Because it's about people. You're going to catch men. And what was that body language where we left that off? Where was Peter? On his face at Yeshua's feet. That's, that's the first picture of the seven. All right? Every picture, all seven, and we're, we're going to take one and at the most two per week of these seven and show them to you. We, we already showed you that one. But the, the beginning of discipleship is on your face at his feet. That's where it starts. It's a humbling position. He was bowing down at Yeshua's feet. The picture of submission. It says several times in Scripture, it is the will of God that you submit to him. Submission is a big deal. Because we're made out of prideful things. and I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I was a Navy chaplain for a long time. In and out, in and out, and all this kind of stuff. And most of the time, they assigned me to the Marines. And I spent a year on Okinawa... And they decided, well, I'm going to find out what makes these guys tick. The average age was 19. They're teenagers. And so I interviewed, in 13 months, 2,000 Marines. And I kept notes. And I asked all 2,000 a question. Why did you join the Marines? Do you know what one of the most common answers was? I was tired of people telling me what to do. (laughs) Think about it. What's wrong with that answer? Well, surely if you join the Marines, they will not tell you what to do. They will not tell you what to wear, how to, how to cut your hair. No, no, right? People don't like to be told what to do. God wants to tell us what to do. That's a part of his will. 
And so if you, if you really want to go there, he's going to tell you what to do. But isn't that what you want to know? Because we, we start with that, Lord, show me what to do. Okay, well, let's go to the next play. I don't like that one. What about this one? No, I don't like that either. I mean, you want to live in poverty? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Richard Warmbrandt. He was a messianic Jew. Did you all know that? Tortured for Christ, his book. He would smuggle Bibles into communist countries. Spent 14 years in prison. I fear that we'll bring part of his story up next week. But part of the being in God's will is 14 years in prison. See, I don't want to do that. And for smuggling Bibles. And when he was let go, what did he do right away? He went back to smuggling more Bibles. God called him to do that. People came to, the, to faith because of him and, and those Bibles. Now, 14 years in prison. Now, w- would he be kind of bitter, you think, toward these communists who imprisoned him for, for doing the right thing? Because where we're going next week, you don't want to miss this, is, uh, well, is, do, do we always obey the government? This is really timely with the elections and stuff. Do we always obey the government? Well, we're, we're, I had that one for today, but we're going to spend more time than we have time today to do that. But we will answer it next week from Scripture itself. Well, okay. Uh, uh, Richard Warmbrandt, when asked about his heart of bitterness toward these people, they said to him, What do you think should be done to those people who imprisoned you and tortured? He was tortured. He was, he was so tortured that when he came to the Messiah conference, he had to sit in a chair on the stage. He couldn't even stand up. You know what he said? Well, I think here's what we should do. Okay? They, they deserve a, a, a really hard kick in the seat of the pants. That's what he said. It was like, that's it? Yeah. I mean, that's a, a heart of love because he saw himself as a missionary to them, too. And a testimony unto them. Well, okay, I hope I can have the guts to, if, if that's my plight. But Peter started off at the feet of Yeshua. That's the picture we see. It's, it's, a, it's a position of submission to authority, but the picture is as you would before a king. As you enter the presence of a king, what do you do? You bow. You bow. He is the king. He is the king. So the second step in knowing God's will begins at the feet of Yeshua. At the feet of Yeshua. That's where, when we submit and are at his feet, that's where he starts giving us what is his purpose for us. What is his direction for us? His vision for our life. Isn't that what you really want to know? Isn't that what you really want to know? Well, the people in the Bible who found that, it began at his feet. A very humbling, it's I give all I am to you. I give myself totally in, in humility. I'm at your feet. That's where we get his, 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 his vision. So the word is submission. Number two. The first is being born again. Second one is it's the will of God that you submit. But it's to several things, not just one. We'll do one today. It's the will of God that, that our lives are in submission to the Lordship of Yeshua. Did you get that? Did you get that? It is the will of God that our lives are in submission to the Lordship of Yeshua. If you can't do that, you will not get to step two, three, four, five, or six. That is the next step. Luke portrays that very clearly in both of his books, Luke and the book of Acts. That is the foundation of understanding the rest of God's will. 
You can't bypass that when we go to 3 and 4. You have to go there. You have to go there. Luke, in his orderly account, okay, gives us this outline, but these pictures, they're different people in different situations, but the one thing in common, they're at the feet of the Messiah. Luke was not an eyewitness. However, he personally interviewed all the eyewitnesses. He was friends with all the disciples. When, when we have an account of, of some, someone doing something, he talked to them. He asked questions. He wrote this down. All right? Uh, he knew the players personally, all of them. In his orderly account, he sees patterns. And this is, there are several. This is one of those. Seven Torah pictures. The position of the body in submission to Yeshua. Step two begins with, oh, did I see the position of the body? Oh, well, let's go back and clarify that a little bit. It's the position of the heart. But you see, the outward expression of that is the position of the body. Anybody can bow down, but God sees the heart. Is your heart bowing down? See, that, that's the real step right there. Is your heart bowing down? Is your heart in submission to the lordship of Yeshua? Is he lord of your life? Not just to say, well, I believe he's the Messiah. Well, that's good. That's, that's step one, born again. Is he the lord of your life? Have you answered his call to follow me? Follow me. It might be a jail of poverty. <laughs> it might. It, did. it was with some. It was with Paul, R- R- Richard Warmbrandt. Okay, it's not all glamour. I got some bad news for would-be missionaries. There is no glamour in world missions. It's as, as the movies. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of disappointment, sickness, sorrow, and mistreatment, though. And by the way, Yeshua said that about how people would. Would, would treat us because of him. Because that's how they, they treated him. So the perfect holiday picture as we come into our holiday time uh, is, is these seven. And we'll look at one or two at a time. So let's start with one. Turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll, we'll just do one today. Luke chapter 5. Verse 12. These are interesting as you go through. They, they're all in the first uh, half of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. You just love that when that sound comes out. Now, this is an unlikely event. And it happened. When he was in a, a certain city, they behold, a man, here's the description, who was full of, of leprosy. Ooh, now it's not that he had a sore where he had leprosy. It says he was full of leprosy. It was everywhere. Uh, what is the Bible? Okay, leprosy is a picture of sin in Scripture. Like, like leaven is a picture of sin, but leprosy is a picture of sin. Uh, were there any, any regulations about lepers? Really? Hmm. What were some of those? Mm, you're not supposed to touch him. Mm. This man was full of leprosy. He saw Yeshua, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, he calls him Lord. There you go. He's a disciple. If you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Wow, that's faith right there. That's faith. He says, I believe you can do this. Then he put out his hand and touched him. Oh, Yeshua is in violation of Torah right here. He touched the guy with leprosy. You're not supposed to do that. Is there something wrong with this? See, nobody would touch him. I think the leadership that was watching this, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, were, <gasps> he touched him. He's un- the Messiah. If he's the Messiah, he's now unclean. Oh, yeah. He's in violation of some man-made rules. He's God. And he brings healing through a loving touch. No one else would touch this guy. He put out his hand and touched him. And he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And six years later... Oh, oh. Sarah, this one's for you. Immediately. There's the suddenly. Immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately it left him. He charged him to tell no one. Don't tell anybody about this. Well, okay. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. He's telling the guy to be too observant. Do you see that? You know, one of the laws was, should you be healed of leprosy? By the way, it never happened until now. This is the first instance of, of that. But there was a law given to Moses at Sinai. If somebody is healed of leprosy, well, okay, when are you healed of leprosy? But they're not healed of leprosy. Today, we can't heal people of leprosy. We can control some of it, but you can't. You still, it's, it's horrible. It's awful. What did God have in mind by saying it? He had this event in mind. Because look, look what happens. Yeshua said, do what the scriptures say. Be obedient to God's word. One of the, one of the submissions is, be in submission to the word of God. Okay, so, so here, here's the deal. You were just, immediately the, the leprosy left him. Don't tell anybody, but go and show yourself to the priest. That's exactly what, what the law says in, uh, in Leviticus. And make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Mo, God told Moses in Torah exactly what the offering would be. Okay? There's a, a, a prescribed formula here. So, don't tell anybody, but go straight to the temple. And do what Moses said. Do what Torah says. Well, the guy shows up. And by the way, this might be the first time he's allowed on the Temple Mount. Because he had leprosy. They wouldn't let him in the gate. They wouldn't let him in. Now, you see, in God's eyes, we're not unclean. Yeshua touched them and cleansed them. Yeshua can touch you. If there's something wrong with you that people don't want to touch you, it doesn't bother him. Because he loves you that much that he will touch the unclean thing and make it clean. This is a big deal. So the guy uh, probably was in the Galilee. A two-week trip, straight, straight shot to the temple. Walks in with his offering. And they said, okay, why are you here? I'm here to make the prescribed offering as Moses commanded us of what you do when you're healed of leprosy. See, he has to be examined by the priest. They have to check him out and make sure he's really clean or he can't come on the temple mount. And so they examine him and he's, no, there's no leprosy. What's the next question? Who did this? That's the next question, all right. 
Because look at what Yeshua said for this guy to do. The reason that that law was given, it was for a testimony to them of who the Messiah is. Because this doesn't happen. It does now since the since Messiah is here. The Messiah cleanses from leprosy. Because what are the questions? <laughs> Not time for this stuff. Luke gives us a, a second pattern where the, the disciples ask questions, the same kind we ask. It was, okay, who has the power to heal leprosy? Like, it's never happened before, ever. Who, the question, who has the power to do that? After each one of Yeshua's initial miracles, the disciples asked that question. Who has the power to, to stop a storm with a word? Who has the power to, to walk on water? Who has the power to heal leprosy? And, and it goes on, who has the power to raise the dead? And a Jewish way of thinking is you, you, give, you give step after step, evidence after evidence to where there's only one conclusion you can come to. Only God. And that's the conclusion they come to. Because that, that, it really got them. Uh, what really got it was when the, the man who was crippled was lowered uh, <laughs> at Peter's house through the roof in front of all the guys. And it right away gets their attention because it says, Yeshua read their mind. Okay, Who can, who can do that? He knew what they were thinking, and, and they're thinking he's going to say, okay, stand up, take up your bed, and walk. And of course, it's a Shabbat, and you're not supposed to do that on Shabbat, right? All these problems. And so Yeshua didn't do that. He doesn't say, take up your bed and walk, be healed. He looks at the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. And they, the bad guys, said, wait a minute, who did he think he is? Who can forgive sin except only God? And it says, and Yeshua was reading their mind. Aren't you glad I can't read your mind? By the way, I, can't, I cannot read your mind. At the couple's retreat, one of the first things that Jack and I are going to be sharing is that men cannot read women's minds. <laughs> For some reason, they think we, can, we cannot. Isn't that right, Jack? No, we, we can't. We can't. Sorry. But we'll talk at the retreat. Over chocolate and flowers, okay? And soft music. <laughs> yeah. At that moment, when Yeshua said, Your sins are forgiven, they started the, the discussion who can forgive sin but only God? And Yeshua said, Okay, tell you what, you're right. You are right. But to show you that I, okay, only God can forgive sin, but to show you that I have the power to, to forgive sin, I'm going to say to the guy, Be healed, stand up and walk. And he, he did. And he got in trouble because it was a Shabbat. <laughs> they didn't care about the rest. Okay, anyway, we still have people like that, don't we? Anyhow, back to this guy. Who has the power to heal leprosy? Only God does. Verse 15. However, the report went around concerning him all the more. He, he let the cat out of the bag, okay? And then great multitudes came together to hear. Isn't that exactly what you want? And to be healed by him of their infirmities. So they came to him for healing. And he touched many more. And those that he touched were healed. Luke continues, who were these people that came to follow him around? You have two groups. The first group was your ordinary person who started seeing these things happen and saying, who is this? And they came to the right conclusion. But the second group was actually an organized committee sent by the temple. Pharisees, Sadducees, members of the, of the Sanhedrin, 
And they were sent to write a report. This, this first half is, is legit. It's exactly what they did. Any religious event in the land had to be thoroughly investigated. This is important. Thoroughly investigated by the Sanhedrin. An actual written report was written up and presented to the Sanhedrin to determine if this is of God or not. You see what starts the ball rolling by doing this. Okay, what he wants is those guys to start following him around. Because they start writing down what he says and what he does. To go back and say, this is what he said, and we saw him do this, is this of God or not? So they start following him around. To see. So you have the two groups. One would be antagonists. The other, the ordinary people. I'm going to stop in a moment, but I want to bait the hook a little bit for next week. What's interesting, the way Luke approaches this, is you have the bad guys. The scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the the priests, um, uh, the Sadducees, who are, uh, in in fact, when presented with the facts, because we talk about you to be in submission to your government, that's next week. Timely for the election right now, right? You're to be in submission to your government. Uh, Well, are there any exceptions to this? Maybe. You have to keep coming back. We'll see. But um, what happens in the book of Acts is we have the exceptions given to us and what they are. And what happens in the book of Acts is that they're presented, these committees are presented with the facts of who Yeshua is. And and it's, it's, it's as plain as possible who he is. But they make the reverse decision uh, of saying, we're not going to follow him. So Luke portrays that. They make the negative decision. But let's not get too upset at this point. Why? Because as you keep reading the book of Luke and where it ends, lots of enemies. But then the book of Acts begins. And the enemies, as you walk through Acts, turn into friends. We have lots of priests. It, it, it'll, it'll say myriads. Myriads. That's tens of thousands of priests come to faith in Yeshua. The guys that were wanting, wanting to kill him, they come to faith at some, at, at some point in time. Lots of Pharisees. Lots of the Sanhedrin. And, and you people like Nicodemus and, and others who come to faith in the Messiah. Uh, so it wasn't all... Sometimes the people that are the most negative don't stop, stop praying for them. Because that might be a Nicodemus or someone like that, or, or Saul of Tarsus. Those who were in the strongest opposition, he touched them and healed them of their bitter heart. And they were insta- instantly, radically, suddenly transformed in, in the words of Saul of Tarsus. What do you want me to do, Lord? It's <laughs> just like that. And that's what happened in the book of Acts. And part of the reason was the apostles stood their ground on the truth. They, they said, we have to do what God said, not what man says. And they did it, and it, it convinced. They were faced with reality, and they actually said it. We know, we know this guy was healed. We, we know the guy. He's been there 30 years. We know him, and we know he was healed. But they just weren't willing to take the next step and be in submission to Yeshua. Yet... By the end of the book of Acts, they did. You have tens of thousands of these authorities. In fact, it got out of control. With one exception. It says 
lots of Pharisees. We have no record of any, not even one Sadducee coming to faith in Yeshua. Not one. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? What's the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee? The Pharisees believed the scriptures. Now, they, they were in denial about some stuff at first, but they were persuaded the disciples used the scriptures. And they believed in the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees did not. So when you, when you see Peter and Paul giving a message every single time, every single message in Acts is one theme, the resurrection. The resurrection. And as you recall, uh, about ten minutes ago I said, any religious event has to be investigated personally by the Sanhedrin, including the resurrection. Those guys went to the garden tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And they looked inside, and there's nobody there. They didn't have an explanation, but they, they had to go and, and look at that. And every time Peter gets up and he speaks, on the Temple Mount, he proclaims the resurrection of Yeshua. If that wasn't true, these committees that had to investigate, all they had to do was say, Stop, Peter. Let's go for a ten-minute walk, and we'll show you where the body is. They couldn't do it. Nor could they offer any other explanation. They just were silent. They didn't have anything to say. Because the facts begin to speak really clear. And because they did believe in a resurrection from the dead, they started looking at the prophecies. And you see this through the book of Acts. And, and they start softening up a bit because the word of God and the spirit of God are taking the truth of God into the heart. And God is patient and he's, he's full of grace and mercy. And, and, and they start seeing it. And it becomes a problem because there's so many of them. Such problems, huh? Well, anyhow, let's wrap today up. Step two, submission to the Lordship of Yeshua, the Messiah. If you don't do that, you can't go to step three. You cannot go to step three. So I want to jump ahead all these notes and end with a verse. Who knows knows where this one is? Come, let us worship and bow down. Bow down. Where's that? What is Psalm. I'll let you think about it. Have you been thinking about not my will, but yours be done? See, Yeshua honestly came to that position. Not my will, but yours be done. Well, we began... Today, with this scripture, we'll end with it. Philippians chapter 2. Please turn there. Philippians chapter 2. Paul, the Pharisee, who believed in the resurrection of the dead, came to a much deeper understanding, and when he moved to step 2 in his life, he said, write this. But your prayer. Come let us worship it by now. Where is that? Come on, Psalms. Okay, you got it. Psalm 95, right. Uh, uh, Philippians 2.9 God has also highly exalted him, that's Yeshua, and given him the name which is above every name. This is our leading of the holidays. At the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Do you know that 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 verse right there, verse 11, 
That was the first, pardon the, the lack of a better term here, the first church creed. Okay, we would say community. That, that doesn't make sense much, though. The first church creed was this. This was it. Right here. Solved lots of problems, doesn't it? So simple. Yeshua HaMashiach is Lord. That was it. That declaration was the first statement of discipleship. Because they meant it, he's my Lord. Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeshua of Nazareth is my Lord. He is my King. Can you say that? Okay, that's, that's where discipleship starts. Have, are you committed to him as Lord of your life? The Lordship of Yeshua the Messiah. If you can't go to step two, you'll never go to step three, four, or five. We'll pick it up here next week. And we'll show you what the devil actually said about this. He spoke to this. You know that? I'll show you. And by the way, I have some really good news. And Leo can help me out on this one. Because he loves the book of Revelation. At the end of the book, we see jillions of people on their knees in, the, in his presence, rejoicing and praising and worshiping together. So let's practice that, okay? Let's get it right. Let's all stand. Lord, I thank you that you have invited us to come into your presence. You've invited us to draw near to you, as Joseph did with his brothers. As we see in the book of Hebrews, we have an open invitation to come into your presence. An audience with a king, but to hear words of love from you to us. Lord, I pray that we can speak those kind of words back to you, that that we can honestly say, Lord, I love you. I, I love you, Lord, and mean it. That the posi- anybody can go to their knees and say a prayer. But I pray that our body position would reflect the stances of our heart. That we would be after a man after King David, a man after God's own heart, who wrote psalm after psalm about bending the knee, falling down and worshiping in your presence. Come, let us worship and bow down. I pray we would have those stances in our hearts and simply be reflected on how we live our life and what we do. And that as the Apostle did, we will stand for truth no matter what. And no matter what anybody says or threatens, that we will stand on the truth. And that we cannot deny that Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.